Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Good morning, church. Mm, someone didn't have their Wheaties this morning. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I heard you guys through the camera at home. Welcome at home as well. Love you guys. Uh, as Pastor Matt said, if you're new and don't know me or you're around and don't see me a lot, it's because I'm the children's pastor, Pastor Michael, and I'm usually in the back with your kids, teaching them God's word and getting to watch them grow in his love and his truth. So it's a real uh, honor and privilege to preach at Big Kids Church today. I always say, I wonder what the big kids are learning about. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Love you guys. Uh, no, it's a real honor to serve here at SGT. I love this church. Uh, I actually grew up in this church, which uh, a lot of pastors can't say. A lot of pastors go to other churches or start other churches. I've had the real honor and privilege of growing up here and now getting to pour into the next generation. It's just a lot of fun. So I asked, uh, I asked the Lord, what is it that he wanted me to preach on today? And, you know, a lot of people think, well, you're a children's pastor, so you're probably going to tell us about kids and how we're not doing a very good job with them and what God wants us to do to make us a better family. And that wasn't it. That's not what God wanted me to preach about. And then you might be thinking naturally, all right, well, he'll probably give us like a kid's story in like a fun way, right? Like a David and Goliath or Day in the Lion's Den or maybe a hard story like Jonah. And that wasn't it either. When I said, Lord, what is it that you want me to preach at Big Kids Church? He said, Michael... I'm going to show up on Sunday, and I want to make sure that you teach the big kids exactly what you're teaching the little kids, because I want families to talk about what it is that I'm trying to tell them when they get home. So are you ready to receive what it is that God wants us to learn today? Can I get an amen from God's people? Amen. All right. So I like to do fun games and stuff. We're not going to do too many of them today because some of you honestly look like you didn't have your Wheaties, so I'm going to take it easy on you. But how many of you can say for me as one people what the last book of the Old Testament is? Ready? Three, two, one. Malachi. Sorry, I threw some of you. Revelation, I heard a couple times. That's the end of the Bible. I'm stopping you at the old, old covenant, so forgive me. I, was, I threw you there. I threw you. But no, Malachi, you got it right. Good job, everybody. And if you got it right at home, great job there as well. Malachi is a really important book, um, and we do teach the kids the prophets and the minor prophets. We're not trying to give them pizza and a couple big stories to remember and then go home. We actually want your kids to learn God's Word. So we have just finished an in-depth for a kid study of the Old Testament, and today they are learning about the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi. And it's a hinge book. It's the end, yeah, sure, of the Old Testament. And it's not in the New Testament, but it, it kind of launches us in to the New Testament. Because it reminds us who God is, who his people are, what he expects of them, and then what he's asking them to do to prepare them for what he's about to do. And I said, all right, Lord, well, I'll teach him. And he said, no, no, Pastor Michael, make sure you tell them this. Make sure you tell them that when I look at them, I see in them what I saw in my people then. And this generation needs to know what I said in my prophet Malachi. So today, please open up your hearts. Because some people avoid Malachi. There's some stuff in there that people don't like to read. But I'd like to remind you, God starts off the whole book with this phrase, oh, how I have loved you. 
Everything God does, he does because he loves us and he wants us to be his people. Even the tough stuff, he just soaks in his love. So I want to pray a prayer of blessing over your hearts to receive what God wants to speak today because I know a lot of us come here because we need the Lord. But when we walk through the security there and come in here and we get ready, we finish worship, we sit down and the devil tries to keep coming and the flesh tries to tell us we don't belong here. And there are other things in us that don't belong that need to get out. And so I want to pray that you will receive God's word today. So please join me, join me at home, bow your heads. I'd like to pray this blessing over you. Lord, I thank you that you always draw your people to you and we never come out the same. You're always perfecting us into your holiness. And so I thank you that your people who are gathered today here in this sanctuary and at home are willing to receive your word. Remove everything that doesn't belong. Remove it. Get it out of our lives, Lord, because we showed up today because we just want you. To you be the glory in our lives, we pray. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll give you a little recap. What the kids are learning today is that our lives are like a vessel, and God wants to fill us. But sometimes along the way, we add things to our lives that don't belong. And when God goes to fill us, we don't get as much as he wants us to get because we've added other things. So Malachi talks about a refiner's fire. The Lord wants to come and take those things out of our life so we can receive the fullness of all he wants to do. And that's it. Now we can have snack. We can go play. We'll do a little fellowship, and your parents will pick you up at the end of service. I'm just kidding. But when you go, if you have kids, and they're learning that now, when you drive them home today, make sure that you ask them about that, because I'm going to give you the big kids version, all right? So uh, before I give you what Malachi said, it's important to see where Malachi lies in the context of the Old Testament. It's all the way at the end, which means a lot of stuff happened to get there, a lot of us know what happens in the New Testament. Many of us study the Old Testament and see its richness and its heritage, its importance, and we look to see like the Christ figures in the Old Testament, what God's doing, shadows of what's to come. But a lot of us, I've, I know this was even true for me before I went into ministry with kids where I actually had to really, really, really learn it before I taught it to them. I didn't know whole sections of the Old Testament very well. So I want to give you guys a quick 30-second crash run through roughly 1,500 years of history. Uh, I didn't have the first service actually fasten their seatbelts, and a couple people actually got blown out the back doors. I'm just kidding. I can't lie at church. So if you're listening at home and you're a kid, nobody got hurt. But I'm going to have second service since there's so many of you on the bus today. I have you all take your seatbelt, and let's click it together. Ready? Boom. Uh, there's still some kids out there. I love you guys. Nice. Okay. Well, when we say God's people, when Malachi addresses God's people, it's a unique thing. It's not like, uh, it's not like a, a, a chapter of a larger organization. It's not like, all right, everybody, welcome. God's people, welcome. Today, we're going to hit a couple bullet points. It's funny because today we actually have our business meeting after church. So we actually will do that a little bit. But most of the time, we don't come here and just check boxes. We come to receive what God wants to pour out. Why do we do that? Well, here's why. Because Thousands of years ago, God set apart a man, Abram, changed his name to Abraham because he received the promise that God had for him. He blessed his descendants. The last descendant that we learn about before the whole name of the people changes is Jacob. God changes his name to Israel. So all of Israel's children become known as the children of 
You guys are getting better at this as we go. The children of Israel. That's right. And the whole Old Testament follows the children of Israel and what God's doing in their life. They are brought to Egypt to survive a famine. They're enslaved in Egypt for a very long time. God doesn't like it when his people are enslaved. He's a liberating God. Amen? So he frees them. He frees them from slavery. He brings them through the Red Sea into the desert to a mountain where he gives them something he gave no other people, an opportunity to be their God and their God alone. He's going to give them a law and treat them in a special way, different than the nations around them. Sure, God loves all the nations, but he's going to treat this people different because they are his people. But he lets them decide whether or not they're down for that. So all the people in one accord look at God. They go, you just brought us out of slavery. You brought us to the Red Sea. We're in the desert. You're providing for us. Of course we're going to follow you. Yes, they say in one accord. Yes, we will be your people. And then immediately turn on their word. And they all perish in the desert because they would not keep their end of the deal. God never, ever breaks his end of the deal. He's called faithful for a reason. But they were not allowed to enter the promised land. So their children got the opportunity. They were read the law again, committed to it, and then entered the promised land. God gave them a great nation and then great kingdoms after that. But even their kings began to fall. And the nation was divided into the north, which is Israel, and the south, which became known as Judah. Their kings were evil and did not honor God. The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians, never to be seen again. The southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon, where they would remain for 70 years as a reminder that without their God, they are slaves to other people. But God, even in captivity, shows them how faithful he is. He gives them people to remind them of his goodness. He sends them Ezekiel, who tells them, look, I see God's presence and glory leaving the temple and coming to be with us in exile, living with us, his people, in exile. He sends them Esther to remind them that he will always protect them as long as they honor him. He sends them people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to show not just them, but the Babylonians and the Persians later on, what a powerful God he is. And then finally, the 70 years is up. He sends them Zerubbabel to bring them back to the land of Israel. They rebuild the temple. And then he sends them Nehemiah to build a wall around the city, not just to protect the city, but to remind the people that he's their protection. He's their wall. He will always be there for his people. And then he does what he always does. He sends Ezra the priest. He says, read them my law. Let's do this again. Will you be my people? Because I so bad, I so bad want to be your God. I love you so much. So Malachi shows up and it says the word of the Lord from Malachi. And the first thing God does is I love you. I love you. I love you. I've always loved you. Everything I've done, I've done because I love you. Go back and look at your history. Read your law. Ask your fathers. You just came out of exile. Why? Because I love you. And because I love you, listen up. Listen to what comes next. And the people listened to the words of Malachi, which I'm going to share some of them now today. First, he warns the people that you can't fool God. You can't say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm but that, in their cases, I'm a Jew. We can't say, I'm a Christian, sure, and then act like we're not. You can fool yourself. 
You can fool your family for a little bit. You can fool your pastors, but you can't fool God. God gives you his best every time. Every time. Never once in the history of anything ever, all of creation, before creation, God's in the future. Not going to go into that now. Never in the future will he ever go, you know what? I love them. Just give them the rest of what we already did. Every time God blesses us, you, me, anybody, he goes, give me my best. Boom. You get the best every time. And all God asks for in return is faithfulness, holiness, and a portion of the things that he's given to you back to him so that his people can have resources to go out and show his love to the world. And when we do that, we don't preach the prosperity gospel. We don't, we don't go and say, you give a dollar, you get a million. No. But when we act like God's people, God shows up and acts like our God. Amen? Can I get an amen? Amen. So the people weren't bringing their best. They were like, tithe, listen, God knows I'm going through a tough time right now. I'm like giving 8.5%. I'll back tithe after taxes. Don't worry about it, okay? They come in. Oh, God wants a sacrifice? All right, I got lots of sheep. God knows if I don't use my best, I'm not going to get the best prices. I'm not going to be able to do my tithe. So just give them this sheep. And the priests were just going along with it. And he warns the priest first. He says, whoa, priests. You don't wear that robe for no reason. I didn't make you a priest to look good in a robe. Or pastor, I didn't make you a pastor to look good in a suit. And I know some of you are thinking, you don't look that good in a suit, so don't, don't brag. But the point is, we don't have this job to look pretty, to remind you what God says, to treat you like big kids. You know, I could read the Bible on my own, but I'll let the pastor read it to me. No, we make a solemn oath to the Lord our God that when we speak, regardless of what you want, regardless of what we prefer, regardless of the world around us, you will only ever receive, ever, what he has spoken or is speaking. And I'm honored to serve on a pastoral team that does that every time, every single time. We will never give you anything other than what God has already said. Because in Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, Malachi says this, well, on behalf of God, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. Stop letting people in and letting them think that they're good because they're not good. They look good, but when they stand before me, there's so much in the way because they're not willing to be my people the way I'm showing them I'm their God. So this message is for all of us. He then addresses the husbands, and here is a reason why a lot of people don't like to read Malachi. One, it talks about tithing. People don't like talking about tithing. Pastors don't like talking about tithing. We'd rather talk about David and Goliath. But again, I have just been told by God, not allowed to do that. I have to preach what he wants me to preach. And we're not allowed to receive what we want. We receive what he gives. It also talks about divorce. We live in a culture where divorce is prevalent. And with divorce, selfishness is prevalent. Unfaithfulness is prevalent. Sin is prevalent. And people know, you're smart. You know Malachi talks about divorce. 
And sometimes your heart just really doesn't want to deal with it. Lord, I know you don't like divorce. I don't need to read it. You need to read it because God never comes out and says things to hurt you. In fact, he goes above and beyond to qualify why he hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorce because you broke your covenant. Sure, he doesn't like that, but the reason why he doesn't like divorce is because he loves marriage. He loves marriage. He loves faithfulness. He loves true love. He loves holiness within a couple. He loves that they raise children who raise children who raise children to honor him and bring glory to his name in the nations that they live in. God doesn't hate divorce because he doesn't like you. God hates divorce because he loves you and he wants you to see faithfulness and not just in your marriage. We're the bride of Christ. We're the people of God. We can't have our eyes going off to the side. We can't be thinking about, well, you know, I could go to church, but it's March Madness. I don't want to miss any games. Or I'd rather read a book. Or I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, but I got a lot to do today. We get drawn. It's easy to not follow God. It's easy. It's easy to get distracted. But then we become broken. Just look at a family. A lot of us are from families or know families very well who've had to walk through a divorce. If you're in one, you know what I'm talking about. You want to, I wrote a note here that's very hard for me to read, let alone receive. If you want to destroy a nation, focus on destroying families. It works every time. Dad, don't love mom well. Mom, be too busy doing stuff for your kids to even focus on them. Kids, don't honor your parents. There's lots of stuff for you to learn. Your parents aren't as smart as you think they are. Just put little lies into a family. Watch it get destroyed and watch a nation fall. Malachi was at the end of the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is broken families and falling. Every prophet, every priest, every righteous man says, come back, be faithful to the Lord your God. And not just in your families. Church, we are the bride of Christ. Be faithful to our King Because he is always faithful to us. Amen? The next thing he talks about is an image of a refiner's fire. And this is the lesson that the kids are learning about. We're going to simplify it for them so they don't get scared. I know sometimes we, anytime you put a refiner's fire, people are like, you teaching my kids about hell? They're four. No, we're not teaching them about hell and being scared. We're teaching them about being refined. But we're going to also use little pots and show them, hey, Let's put stuff in the pot. Let's see. If we fill it, can we fill it as much as if we take stuff out? Of course, even a child can say no. When I ask myself that, God, can I be filled with all this other stuff in my life? The answer is still simple. No. The oldest saint in this sanctuary, if I were to ask you, can you be filled with as much of what the Lord has for you if there's other stuff in you? The answer is always the same. No. So God says, be free of those things because I want to pour out so much more. I love this story. Um, I think my mother told it to me because she was doing a Bible study and she was like, let me tell you why Bible studies are important. I was like, all right. I was that kid, you know, in the back room. I was the oldest watching my brothers. Sometimes you hear them in there eating their cakes and laughing and you're like, I have the worst job ever. Other times you're scared to death because a glory cloud just falls and the whole house is like, there's unholiness here. And you're like a little kid. You're like, I'm not going to ever be disrespectful to my mom again. Just want you to know, if you're ever invited to a women's Bible study at our church, 
It's probably leaning in that direction. So show up ready to, to be full of the glory of God. Love the ladies in this church. You guys are doing a great job. Your kids talk about you all the time. I just want you to, I want to remind all the parents here. Your kids keep talking when you drop them off. Always. They never stop talking. They tell us what's not going well, and we pray for you. They tell us what's going well, and we tell them that's what you need to be like. Be like dad. Be like mom. All right? Your kids are watching you. And so I was watching my mom, and she was doing a Bible study. And I remember my mom was talking about this other lady's Bible study she heard about. And they were reading this passage of Malachi. And they were like, well, man, I just wish we knew more about the refiner's fire. Like, we know what a refiner's fire is, but I guess there's, there's got to be more to learn, right? So the lady, this one lady goes, listen, I know a lot of you are busy tomorrow. You got work. You have other responsibilities, but I'm free tomorrow. I'm going to call the silversmith in my town, ask him if he has some time for me to come down and check out his refining fire. Sure enough, she calls him. The guy's like, yeah, come down. I'll show you how it works. She goes down the next day, walks in, silver everywhere, gorgeous. She's like, wow, this guy's actually really good. He's not just a silversmith. He's actually very talented. He comes out. He goes, oh, are you the lady? Yes, I'm here to, to learn about. Oh, great. Come in the back. She goes in. She looks around. She sees not so nice silver. It's still beautiful. Like, it's the kind of stuff you'd want to show off, but you wouldn't because it's not pure. And so already her mind's going. She's like, my mind. She's like, oh, this is good. This is good. She's writing down notes. She sits down. He says, okay, sit back a little bit. It's going to be very hot. She, he grabs one of the things, whatever, a little pitcher of silver, and he opens up the refiner's fire, and he puts it in. Leaves it in there for a little bit, takes it out, looks at it, puts it back in, takes it out, looks at it. He keeps doing that. She asks him, she says, why don't you just leave it in there till it's done? And he says, well, if I leave it in there even a second longer than it needs to be, I'll destroy the whole thing. And again, she's like, oh man, the ladies are going to love this. She's writing down her notes. And he, she's just watching him go in, out, in, out, looking at it. She says, why do you keep looking at it? He goes, oh, well, I'm trying to know when it's done. She goes, oh, well, how do you know when it's done? He said, you know what? Uh, this whole process, that's the easiest part. I'll know when it's done, when I take it out and I look and I can see my reflection in it. You might think you've been through a lot of fire, but let me tell you something. God is a good refiner. He will never keep you in a fire longer than you can handle it. And when you get out, if you don't hold on to the dross in your life with everything you got and you let him take it out of your life, guess what? you're going to look more like him at the end. We've been through a lot this past year, church. And even the past couple months have been a lot for us. And I just want to pray a blessing over you and remind you of something while Pastor Matt and his team come up. There are times when I look out at my church. I love you, church. I grew up here. You helped raise me. And some of you are thinking, oh boy, we could have done better. But you showed me God's word. You taught me to honor him. You spoke to me like the stuff I'm telling you is real and you lived it. And I teach those kids like what I'm telling you now is real because I really believe it, that we have a good God. But this past year, there's been a lot of opportunities for everybody else around us to look at us and not see him. If I were to ask you right now, you leave this church and somebody looks at you and they recognize you, they know who you are, they're going to go, oh my goodness, you're, what are they thinking in their head? What's the first thing they're going to think of? Are you a Dallas fan? 
lost in New York? Are you a really good businessman? Do you have a nice house? Do you love dogs? Have you been through a rough time recently? Are they trying to ignore you because you talk too much? Did you go to a great college? Do they know exactly what side of the aisle you are politically? What is it? I want you to imagine if every Christian in every church on this whole island walked out of church and the only thing everybody on Long Island saw was Jesus. Can you imagine? Some guy comes home and his wife's like, what's the matter? I can't, I can't, everywhere I go, Jesus is everywhere. I can't get away from him. You know who's saying that right now? Nobody. Because when they look at you and they look at me, there's other things they think about first. We've gotten distracted, church. I've gotten distracted. Remember? Started with the priests. He warned us first. Get everything out. I want me, all of me in you. We've been praying for revival at this church for decades. And if you come to a prayer meeting, you might hear them pray for it again. I'm telling you right now, if we heed this word from the Lord today, let him refine us. Get it out of our lives. What he pours in will be revival. He's already given it to us. We're so full, we can't receive it. Get it out. Let's make it so that today, when SGT goes out those doors, people are like, when did Jesus, is Jesus back? Because I feel like I see him everywhere. This island will be turned upside down. This nation will see Jesus again. They're never going to know him unless they see him. Bow your heads. Let's pray together, please. Lord, we thank you for Malachi. We thank you that you show us exactly how to return. We see that in the end of Malachi, Lord, your people, the faithful ones, got together and spoke among themselves. And a book was written for them to remember who you are, that you would know their names, that they would know your name, and that they would live holy so that when the world saw them, they'd see you. I pray today, Lord, that we would live in such a way that when we breathe, when we talk, when we move, when we joke, it's you. Nothing but you. You are a good God. And if we have forgotten how to be your people, we repent. God, forgive us. Refine us. Take away everything that's not you. So we won't teach our kids the Bible. They'll just see you every time they look at us. To you be the glory and none other among your people today, we pray. Amen.